right, everybody. Welcome to the Chapman and Randy Show. You know, I, we had a good weekend. Friday and Saturday, we went and saw the Aviators. I saw them Friday. Randy and I both went on Saturday and saw them here play Monte Carlo. We're promoting Freedom Fest. And woke up Sunday morning and just absolute chaos all over social media. I checked Reddit. Reddit was just blown up with all this news of a shooting going down. You know, I had heard it briefly right before... I went to bed that night, you know, because typically when I lay in bed, I'll, I'll watch the news and just, you know, go to sleep watching this <clears throat> mainstream media. I caught the news of it, and I didn't realize until the morning just how bad it was. And, uh, you know, we witnessed our nation's largest shooting attack this weekend. And so this episode today, we are one, we are literally just past it, so we're not going to get into it right now because we had a very special guest in the studio today, but we will be talking about it in depth in about a day or two with an immediate release let's just hit it real briefly that there's a serious problem going on uh, i mean a serious problem in this country right now with radical islamists with people who are radicalized in general it's not just islamists man there's people who are radicalized in general and uh there's people who believe that guns are a problem which uh we can go into that as well i mean there's so many depths that this I guess the correct thing to say right now is that there's a huge problem, dude. And yeah, the thing is, is they don't even know what surgery to perform to, you know, take this thing out. I mean, the the weird thing about this is, is with the groups that you have involved, these are like hot button. And the funny thing is, is they weren't even Obama wasn't even able to like he didn't know what to do with the word hate crime because least, that is least, a hate. At crime. least he came out. And he said this was an act of terror, which I guess I don't like giving him any credit, but I will. He he did. Get, he's never done that before. Not with the guy in Oklahoma who cut the lady's head off. Not with the shooting attack. Well, any of the shooting, San Bernardino, the one in Virginia, uh, none none of them. He's called him terror until now. So. I guess that's a start, but he's out of office. Was say, next that's year. lame duck shit. You know, what that is. Um, that's, I'm, they got no. I think in the in the next couple couple of days, we have. I'm trying to get a hold of a group in Bakersfield. They're a group of gays who believe in the Second Amendment and protecting themselves. I'm trying so hard to get a hold of this group. They accepted me into their group on Facebook. Um, I had to come out real quick and be like, "Hey, look, I'm not gay." Uh, but <laughs> because, you know, as soon as everybody, especially Randy, were to see, hey, Chad's joining, you know, the Pink Pistols. Um, no, man, I, I, <laughs> I reached out to him because I, I want to talk to him about uh, this whole issue. So I'm trying so hard to get them on. If we can get them on on Wednesday, we'll get that pushed out immediately. And we'll get to hear from a homosexual who believes in the Second Amendment and talk about this, this tragic event in depth because uh, it, we, now is not the time. Because in studio, one of the most important men in my life who not only inspired me as a young adolescent, as a young teenager, troublemaker, uh, you know, high school student, but somebody who throughout the years has just always been a huge positive force in my life, finally got to come in studio and come on, come on the show. All you guys listening right now who went to Stockdale with me, who know him, all of you listening right now who he shared the link with, and have had him either in high school or, or college. I present to you Professor Michael Mastani. How are you? 
And I couldn't be better. What a treat to be with these two bright lights. <laughs> we're going to try and keep it, um, you know, we're, we're going to try and keep this somewhat PG-13 because I know you have a lot of people who are probably going to listen to your to this, and and uh, <laughs> I don't want to really scare them off too much, but uh, but it's an honor to have you here on our show, man. Thank you so much. And you know what I just got to say before we even get started? Thank you for the insane amount of positive reinforcement you've given me since I was literally like 14 years old. I mean, it's been amazing. Uh, I know it took me a while to pull my head out my ass, but here I am, and I, I owe a lot of it to just to, to you, man, and, and thank you. Well, Chad, you're way too kind, but the whole point was is I saw pure gold and I saw fire in the belly, and fire in the belly is probably what drives the Chad Man and Randy show right now. It's, it's, a lot and, of, it's a lot of And emotion. I think that's a good thing. <laughs> you know, I'm 72, and, man, I want to have fire in my belly till I go out. You got to. You got to. And, and I think what you're referring to is passion. That's exactly know? right. I think passion when I, when for, I was a teenager, I think I didn't know what my passion was. I just had it. Yeah. At the time, I was always just running my mouth, and it was getting me in trouble, and it was... I think Nothing changed. Yeah. And I think you were telling Randy, <laughs> you were telling Randy before the show that I was a, I was a pistol. But I meant that in the best possible. Yeah, yeah, but but life. it was because I didn't really know where I was doing, and and uh, you know I ended up becoming a father my senior year, which was kind of a I call it a mistake because it was a mistake not using my um, not using my head. Overused one of them. Yeah, but uh, but it, you know I joined the military right afterwards, and I we lost contact, and you know that was the, those were the days before Facebook and MySpace and yeah. social media, and I remember it must have been probably 2005, 2004, 2005. I got on MySpace and you know started messing around on Facebook shortly after, and that's where we linked up, and yeah. uh, I want to say 2007 maybe, and you know ever since then it's just every day you know i just just seeing you do do what you do and whether it's with your cars or you know just all the artwork you do or your teaching and then you know just interacting with you and your students the effect that you've had on all of your students and i know i speak for all of you out there listening is you've just been a an amazing man a positive person inside and out so but you know thank chad you. i thank you for the effect you've had on me People forget that students have effects on their teacher or professor. And that's why I did it for 50 years. I just concluded my 50th year on May 13th. Yeah, you just retired recently. Exactly a month ago. So it hasn't even hit you yet, huh? No, it still hasn't because no. I don't feel retired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and the reason is I have contact from students I've had since 1966 on. Yeah, we share a mutual friend, uh, which I found out last year, Brant Cotton. Uh, oh my he, gosh! Yeah, and Brant yeah. and I have been, in t and I hadn't seen Brant until I ran into him on social media, mm -hmm. and the next thing you know, we've had coffee together two or three times. I've been yeah. to two of his shows, and then you get to see mutual friends. Yeah, amazing! It's been like a, it, a gift from God. So I, every time anybody says anything bad about Facebook, I just say there are two words: hide, delete. Yeah, make Facebook work for you as a social media thing, so that you keep connection with those people who are significant. I do a really good job at that. Um, yeah, I also you do. I also do a really good job at uh, I think kind of pushing the boundaries with it. But it goes every once in a while. You gotta purge the list a little bit and <laughs> see if you can. I do it every once in a while. I mean, I will. I'll be like, like, let's go trolling. Let's see if I can get somebody on the line here, <laughs> and I'll just throw something out there stupid, <laughs> and people will know it. And they'll message me, and they'll oh, got one, don't you? And I'm I'm serious. I'm fishing when I'm doing it. But as podcast hosts, we talk about so much controversial stuff. We talk about that's good. I mean, since we've done this, I've lost friends. I don't want to say burn bridges, but, 
you know, you, when you start putting your opinion out there, really kind of starts to affect relationships. But so mm-hmm. social media is a huge aspect of what we do. Whenever I get out of line, you're the first one to tell me. You're that's like, all right, buddy. You're I like, hope you haven't minded. No, I, I love it. Are you kidding me? I love it. dialogue. I'll say, hey, I love rein it. it in or... Hey, what are you talking about, dude? No, you're Professor M. You know, we, that's how I refer to it you. It cracks me up from the distance just to see, get his face slapped a little bit and just laugh. <laughs> yeah, because it's very rare that that, that happens. And there's like uh, the I don't ever slap his face. What <laughs> I do is I'm going to share a line with you that's worked for me as a professor. And because I deal with a lot of strong opinions. Can you imagine? Oh, I, yeah. You I, know, they paid, here's 50 grand. I want to get my doctorate or my master's and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, don't paying. be telling me what to do or how to think. Right. You no, know, I'm not going to do that, but I have a st- statement for you. I want you to learn how to afflict the comfortable right, and comfort the afflicted. Wow. Now, that's a balance in right. life we all have to practice. And it's not easy. No. Not because easy Because I will forget to comfort the afflicted. Right. I don't have a problem at all about goosing somebody and say, get off the dime. You need to start thinking for yourself right. and have an opinion. Because I can't, the worst offense at university, Chad, Randy, is to have a writer that has no voice. Yeah, you know. They will assemble and stitch together facts and nobody knows what the hell they're talking about. Have an idea about what you want to say and where you're going to go with it, even if you don't believe it. Start going for it. This is the man, Randy, that was telling me that literally almost verbatim telling me that when i was 14 15 years old and you know at the time i didn't know what you meant i appreciated it and i knew it was powerful i was like man what he's telling me is powerful and i took bits and pieces of it but those words right there at a young age really set set this lit the fire in me man and and my voice being in the army uh and and i want to hear all about your army story we're gonna we're gonna get (laughs) on that but um but gory being in the uh, (laughs) Be, being in the army, believe it or not, actually gave me a voice. And, yeah. and whereas, like, I had limitations, I grew to, I guess, appreciate the fact that I had limitations. And now that I'm out, now that I'm, you know, medically retired, uh, the voice that you always told me to have, I oh, I have it. It's there. <laughs> you know, it's definitely there. So, yeah, thank but, you, man. I, I can't. But thank you know enough. what happens, Chad? Even when you have the voice, as you get older. And you're you're seeing that with the rise of your son and your soon-to-be son, mm-hmm. that you're finding out that you have the opportunity to modulate. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with modulation, as long as you know exactly in your heart who you are and what you want to say. And if you modulate it, it means that you're getting your message out so that you can actually encourage dialogue instead of polarize. There's a big difference mm-hmm. between dialogue and polarization. Mm-hmm. And I think your show is beginning to do that. You're creating dialogue, bud. We Both love you it. And Randy. We Good love it. You. We love Randy and I, I think, started this as a, a means because everybody had a story. Yeah. Know, we both agreed on that. And we wanted to talk about things that maybe the radios talk show host didn't want to talk about maybe maybe the average person didn't want to talk about but they'd right. still want to hear yeah and it's working for us man right i mean we we love well, it we didn't want to be formatted didn't want to be told what we could do what we can't do because i got a mouth on me i mean i cuss man and I, it's just Don't part of it's a part of the way i was grown i mean i was raised by by a, a red-headed italian woman so i mean you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> and you're talking to an italian <laughs> yeah exactly so 
Well, when I'm watching a murder mystery, or on, like if you're watching on regular TV, yeah. and somebody goes up and they're like, "Oh, fiddlesticks! We found another body." People don't talk like that. It's, you know, <laughs> it doesn't happen. It's not real. And no. uh, and it's a turn off to some. I and I understand that. Uh, the other day, I posted on Facebook. I said, "If you really know me, tell me something." You, uh, if you really know me. Comment below something I would say. I think everybody said, uh, you know, fuck, 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 because I use that. I <laughs> even use that, I did. I, yeah, even you did. I use that word just to kind of bring uh, emphasis on what I'm talking about, okay. and 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 it's not classy, I guess, to some people. But we love the podcast format. We can do it here in my house. If you guys notice, you hear there's a gardener out front, and I told him not to come on Monday mornings, but there he is, blowing his blowers. So that's what you hear in the background. But um, I could record here at my house. We built the studio here, and we bring people in, and we have dialogue, and we hear stories. We've talked to so many amazing people in the, in the six, seven months we've been here that uh, it just makes us want to do more and more and more. Now we're doing shows. we got Freedom Fest going on. It, it's starting to turn into something, something really special, and to have you here is awesome. So I want to ask you the golden question that I've always wanted to ask you. What is your Army story? Because before you were a teacher and a professor, you were in the Big Army. Big time. Yeah. Well, so. I'll just start right from the beginning. Yeah. I was a sixth-grade teacher in Oildale, California, at Standard Elementary okay. in sixth grade. Well, I got uh, – we had the lottery, <laughs> and that's what happened when you were uh, – whatever you were – eligible for the draft i won the lottery i was the first 50 numbers drawn i think i was 50 in bakersfield yeah in bakersfield wow and an oil dad went to from the same like from the same area he was an oil deal too so and guess what i won the second lottery i was one of the only marines drafted Uh uh-oh so i got drafted as a marine and i went to the reception station in fresno on I still remember it, January 27th. Boy, you don't forget those days. Mm-hmm. Like your kid's birth and when you suddenly realize you're in the Army now. So I'm sitting there in the reception station with probably 199 future Marines. You don't know what that's like when you get to the reception station and they say, okay, we're all going to Pendleton and you're all Marines. Why was I thinking you were in the Army? Because I was. Okay, okay, okay. okay. And, okay, and right. here's what happened. Yeah, I'm sitting there with all these future jarheads and... This big old first sergeant comes out, and he starts to say, okay, now we're going to take the oath, you know, whatever it is the that you have to do yeah. to be enlisted. Not be enlisted, I mean. Well, you take, be, that, you take that initial oath at reception, yeah. Yeah. So we're getting ready to do it, and the phone rings. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, I wonder what that's all about, because he's stopping to go get the phone. And then he comes back, and he goes, is there a Mustagni in the group here? <laughs> And here is my dad as I left for the reception station. Do not volunteer for anything. Do not raise your hand. Shut the hell Would up. Would your dad a military guy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the best advice you can give anybody. So he said, and so here I am at reception station, and the first sergeant says to 200 men, is Mustagni here? Oh, God. Do I answer? <laughs> so I go, yeah, sergeant, I'm... I'm Mustagny. I didn't correct him. I learned early on. <laughs> Let them say anything they want. Uh-huh. Yep. So he goes, there's a phone call for you from some colonel in Washington, D.C. Wow. Oh, no. What's that all about? I don't know any colonel in Washington, D.C. Right. 
So remember, the intelligence services is never dull, boys. So I take the call, and this colonel says to me, he says, uh, you know, you have uh, a degree in French, and you have Spanish and Latin, and uh, you have another degree. He says, uh, do you really want to be a Marine uh, enlistee? And I, I go, I have a choice. <laughs> and he goes, yeah. He says, I'm offering you an enlistment, a four-year enlistment into the Army Security Agency. We want to use your language skills. And I go, let me see. Marine, frontline infantry, and language. <laughs> you know, that language sounds really good. <laughs> and uh, 199 future Marines got on the buses and went to Pendleton. I still took the oath. Right. And I sat there for two hours, and a lonely little bus pulls up out of nowhere from Fort Ord. Right, and, right over here on the coast. Yeah, yeah, and that bus picks me, the only passenger, and takes me to infantry. And so suddenly I went through uh, basic training infantry and then advanced infantry. Okay. And then after advanced infantry, uh, they sent me to language school to learn a fourth language. Was that there in Monterey? Uh-huh. Yeah. So then I went through uh, a year of Chinese Mandarin. And, boys, this is almost as hard as combat. I'm not trying to minimize combat. No, yeah. But here's the deal. They do this immersion thing. So you go to Chinese class, you have six different professors from six different areas in China on purpose. Oh. So that you hear every possible dialect, dialect and et cetera. Now, here's the hard part. I started with either 12 or 13 dudes in the class. We had... FBI, CIA, Air Force, Naval Security Group, a Marine, and me. So it was every service and every intelligence group had a student in that class. Well, it was bizarre. What happens is that you go your first day, it's like you jump into a shark-infested pool. And there are six Chinese sharks. <laughs> and the deal is, is that every period, I hope this isn't I'm going on too I far, Chad. I got this image. No, no, keep going. I just got this image in my head of a Chinese shark. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Ordering chow mein. Okay, anyway. With a hat. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't know this, but after every period starting the first day, that professor had to grade you on a 100-point scale. Okay. And they would write it on a little sheet. And then at the end of the day, you had six separate grades from six oh. different professors. And if anybody in that class fell below the average of 85 after averaging the six hours, they were pulled that day. Oh, my wow. God. Do you at know the, what it was like? Attrition rate, yeah. yeah and you don't know. Yeah. They came and got that Well, you student. couldn't read the grade. No, you know, they never tell you your grade. It was a picture. Yeah, well, believe it or not, you're right, because they're all Chinese characters. And you didn't know. Oh, so you God. had to suddenly go, man, i got to really hit this hard. And by the end of a week, we were down to 10. And by the end of six weeks, we were down to 7. Oh, man. And by the end of 36 weeks, 
our original seven, we felt like the seven samurai in that bad old movie yeah. <laughs> because we had survived 36 weeks of that wow. kind of intense grading where you never knew what your grade was. Did the Army never. guy beat out the Marine guy? Tell me he felt, please. We did not know our class ranking until the final week on week 52 of what our class ranking is. And, boys, I was last. Oh, that's all good. Army's No, there. no. It's cool. It's it cool. got better. <laughs> we took our final exam. I placed first. There you go. See, that's how Army works. So, man, <laughs> I tell you what. It was the daily grades. I just I suffered. I did man. my best. But when it came to talking Chinese, I loved that, and I actually learned to like it. Yeah, I remember in, in high school, sophomore year, you brought somebody from China yeah. to come visit us, and uh, the entire class was done in Chinese. And I remember just looking at, I think it was Andrew Krause. Uh, I remember Andrew. Yeah, I remember. I mean, on yeah, Facebook, yeah, with yeah, yeah, I remember a couple other guys. We were just like laughing the whole time, like, what is this guy? For 50 minutes, we got some guy speaking Chinese. And, and I now looking back, I know what you were doing, but at the time it was hysterical. We didn't know what was going on. Oh, I know, but it was. And you had us write about it, but that's yeah. that's cool. So what happened? Um, well, you get uh, sent to Vietnam. Uh, I was too sensitive because not yeah. only did I complete that school right when I finished, because Chinese Mandarin speakers Nixon and Kissinger were negotiating uh, relationship. With, with China, yeah, right. Yeah. As a way of maybe ending the war in Vietnam, but establishing the fact that we could be trade partners instead of enemies. Right. Yeah. And uh, it was Mao Zedong was declining, so it's interesting that Mao Zedong and I would have any kind of coordination. But here's what happened: they had so few Chinese Mandarin speakers who were blue-eyed and you know brown-haired then. Right. And uh, so what happens, they didn't know what to do with us. They didn't know how to do it because they were trying to be sensitive about where are they going to place us, am I going to be at NSA, mm-hmm. or am I going to be in the field. Right. And they couldn't put any Mandarin speakers in the field because we would know too much because not only did I leave Fort Devens where I – can you believe it? This is the Army. You boys would relate. <laughs> they sent me all the way to Boston – Fort Devens to just park. I was there for two months, temporary <laughs> duty, TDY. Yeah. I haven't said TDY since 1970. And so I'm sitting there, and I have nothing to do. Sounds and about so right. Government they, efficiency. Yeah. So, you know, they had me do. I became a platoon sergeant. And my job was I would march young troops to class mm-hmm. and then pick them up and march them back. And that's, they had to all march in formation. Boys, you've never lived until you've seen uh, the professor here try to march 80, 19-year-olds <laughs> in one direction. But, you know, I learned something about leadership in that first week I was marching troops. I was marching this group of ragtag boys that they had just been out of basic, you know, and so they still didn't have much sense about them, about marching in formation, blah, blah, blah. At least my crew didn't. And... I'm getting so frustrated. I'm going, God, they're just not paying attention to me. I suck at this. <laughs> and we're marching to class, and all of a sudden a jeep comes pulling up, and this major who is five foot four, I'm not kidding, built like a fire plug, uh, literally a fire plug with a weird hat, and he was the battalion commander. And you know what he did? He taught me something then and there. And Chad, I may have shared it with you. I've shared it with countless men. He said. <laughs> 
I want you to believe that you're in charge. Yeah, so that's a key. Mm-hmm. And he says, and if you believe it, they'll believe it. He didn't rip my ass. He helped me. Yeah. I've never forgotten him. And he said, you just take that voice of command and actually believe that you're in charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he got it's back in his Jeep. I did that, and no sooner did I believe that. And I'm not telling you, it was like, it was like somebody giving me the key to the kingdom because all of a sudden... You know, my troops were in line, marching forward, and they they did everything they were supposed to. It's that confidence. They see it. Yeah, but it isn't ego. That's what I no, like. it's not ego. What I learned there, Randy, and it helped me so much, was just believing that we need to have somebody in charge. Right. So that we'll all go forward and... Somebody's got to stand first in the line. That's exactly right. And you know that helped me for teaching from then on. Yeah, you never had an ego, and I think that's why I think students would agree they enjoyed going to your class. It wasn't like, oh, I got Mastani for the next next period or something. We enjoyed going because, you know, it, even though we may have been reading the Odyssey, right, or whatever, whatever, <laughs> what, yeah, whatever was on. The, I hated teaching yeah. <laughs> English, but I didn't hate teaching. Yeah, exactly. And even so, or even if we had, it was art. I mean, because I had you for both. Even though that was on the curriculum, you would spend an hour talking about something completely different, but would tie it in to what we were doing. You just had your own way of doing it, and it was my life. Story. It was enjoyable. It was really enjoyable, man. Well, I didn't have the pleasure of having you, but we had other teachers where they'd be talking about something for a long time, and I get it from you. The feeling that you'd be in a class and you'd be like, I don't know what the hell this guy's talking about. And then before you'd walk out and you shit, I learned something, you know, like and didn't real how it related back into whatever you you know your point that you're trying to come across. Yeah, with. And, and that's the best way. That was always the most interesting way. And once you figured out when a guy was doing that, you'd be like, it's kind of like watching a magic trick. Like, let uh, me see where go. they're going. Let me see where this is going. You know, you're learning stuff that I guess you're going to school for, but you're also learning things about life. You know, you're learning. I mean, just hearing stories. Not trying to pass the test. Yeah, yeah. You know exactly. You're, you're not learning. You're not. You're not. Tests. You're yeah. not test taking. You're not trying to test taking. Exactly. You're learning something, and you're walking away from it with a little bit of knowledge. Your brain is just soaked up. My goal, whether I was teaching fourth grade at Highland Elementary in Oildale, or teaching doctoral students at Chapman University, is always to find out what do you know. I'm going to ask you a question that's going to be searching, and I'm going to squeeze your butt until you right. suddenly think for yourself and get this, that you have process, that you have a beginning, you have a middle, and you have an end. And you can critical think. Exactly. Yeah. And so then when I finish your essays, like professors that worked for me, I'd say there are two things you need to know. Do they have a controlling purpose to their thinking? And do they have a bell ringer of an ending so that they know that when they finish whatever statement they're making, that they believe what they're saying? Because you'd be surprised how much wishy-washy crap is out there. Uh, they're wishy-washy people in life. They're going to wait for Chad, Chad, Man, and Randy to tell them how to think. Right. But you don't want that. Yeah. Y- you want dialogue so me- that you guys grow as well. It's like a friend of mine, uh, ex-student at West High. He's a, a teacher in Berkeley, of all places, and he oh. and I disagree on everything from soup to nuts. <laughs> I had to say it was Berkeley, and I was like, yeah, I can see how that goes. But I, I'm very fond of this no, kid. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he always writes to me, he goes, 
boy, we're out, not on the same page. And I know, I know, and I'm going to tell you that. Right. Because there's always the off chance that you're going to say something that I'm going to learn from. And like today, I wrote him about something, and I said, you're right on. I believe that. So what do you know? We actually agree on something. I don't hear him saying he's going to agree with me very often. Because right. remember, I'm a Dodger fan, and the boy is diehard Giants. And, oh, my God, makes me want to almost taste my breakfast for a third time. Yeah. Well, anyway, so I left Devon's because what happened is the Army, in their infinite wisdom, decided they were going to make me more saleable to the intelligence community. So they sent me to the Air Force Base in Texas called Goodfellow. And Goodfellow specializes in training special ops in cryptography and cryptoanalysis. Wow. So not only did I have Chinese Mandarin, I had to become a crypto dude, and I learned cryptoanalysis and uh, all of that stuff. And so I graduated with those MOSs. So here I am, MOS full, (laughs) but nothing to do because I'm too sensitive now. Because not only do I have the Mandarin going on, and guys, here's what happened. Mandarin, in Chinese school, I had to learn all of the military maneuvers. So that if I'm translating, I could relate to a field commander, hey, look, they're bringing tanks in. Like simple battle drills and stuff, That's too. exactly yeah. what I could actually tell them what the battle plan was. Right. Because it isn't just like, oh, you know, how was your weekend? What would you have for dinner? Right. You had to actually be prepared to discuss what kind of planes were flying, yeah. what kind of troops were on the ground. Mm-hmm. It was it was really wild, boys. That's amazing to hear that. I See, I never knew. I, it's one of those things about you I always wanted to ask. Well, it, now you get to. Now I get to. And, and I'll and, get a call from NSA as soon as I hang up this radio <laughs> show with you. Oh, I'm pretty sure I'm already on their watch list. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. I wouldn't thing. doubt it. See, so I, I, there, there you go. So you suddenly become top secret code word whether you wanted to be or not. And uh, so then I ended up getting orders, and instead of getting orders to Vietnam, I got orders to Korea. And I really wondered about that until I realized I was too sensitive to be in Vietnam. They didn't want me captured. They didn't want any Mandarin yeah. speaker well, they spent captured too much, they, they spent in Vietnam. Too much, they spent too much money on your training. Oh, my gosh. And you know? so what did they do? They made me a courier. And I would carry top-secret message traffic. Because, see, we didn't have computers and all that stuff then. So we had paper traffic, boys, that I would get in a helicopter and fly from one base to another. Or, or a, I hate to say it, but I would get on a, a little Learjet that would be masquerading as a civilian aircraft. And guess what? It wasn't. And then I would be dropped Shocking. off. <laughs> <What>? Shocking. <laughs> I know you're shocked. <laughs> So then I'd be dropped off, and and you would leave it. I had a little drama there. Uh, When I got to Korea, again, they didn't know what to do with me right away. And what it is is that the Army moves very slowly. And you boys know that. Hurry up and wait. Yeah, hurry up and wait. That's my, it's our motto. Everybody knows that. Don't move quick, but then you're sitting there waiting Oh, yeah, when they want to move, you move now. You don't move, you know, it's now. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there in uh, 8th Army, and next thing I know, I get the call, and they say, it's six weeks of sitting there. 
And get this, no contact with my family because I was too sensitive. They didn't want my family or anyone to know where Mikey was. So they impounded all my mail. I didn't get my mail, and that's another story. But the whole point was I'm just sitting there with no contact with my new wife of six months. I, you know, I had to leave her in the States. Well, I got this. I hope I'm not boring you two. No, no, no God, no. 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 Hell so no. anyway, I, I get the call in the middle of the night, literally. There's a deuce and a half waiting for you. You guys know what a deuce and a oh, half is? I know is? what a deuce and a half is. Those of you guys who don't know that are listening right now, it's a big truck. Yeah, a big truck with a canvas back yeah. and wooden benches across. Yeah, I sat in many the of them. troops sit on, and there's no – it's a mess they're, to ride in. They're like 10 inches long. Exactly. So it's good for a guy like me. Yeah, but it was good. Hey, I was a guy like you, <laughs> yeah. dude. I was. I had a 30-inch waist, and, yeah. you know, I thought I was a stud. And so I get in the back of this deuce and a half. I have no idea where I'm going. And we go to the uh, – edge of Korea, and there's this little rickety wooden bridge. On the DMZ? Yeah. Okay. But we're but we're not, we're near the DMZ, so close that this is what happened. As I get to the bridge to cross over into this tiny little island, Randy, I'm not kidding mm-hmm. you. You can almost see all the way around it, standing on it, you know, and that was bizarre. And there's all these bunkers, all this stuff. You know, uh, you had a perimeter of soldiers, not a very big cadre, but they were there to guard me and this very small group of people that were listening in on China. Wow. And North Korea. Right. So we had Korean linguists as well as Chinese linguists. Now, I was one of only two Chinese linguists, so we didn't have a big passel of them. And so... As I get ready to cross the bridge in the back of the deuce and a half, loudspeakers from North Korea go, Welcome <laughs> to Kong Wat Do, Mr. Mastanyi. And they said my name correctly. That was the weirdest thing of all. The North oh my God. could actually say <laughs> Mastanyi correctly. And as I get to the island, I'm freaked out. I go, What was that all about? My own family doesn't know I'm here. Nobody knows I'm here, but the North Koreans do. Mike, there's really nothing secret at all. Wow. (laughs) Because uh, either the housekeeper, the house cleaner, somebody. Knew something. There's a mole, knew something. Dropped the dime. Dropped the dime on everybody there. And they said, hey, everybody gets that greeting. We try to, you know, keep it as covert as we can, but it. It, it comes out, and I have another story about that later, boys. It'll that's, just blow your that's mind. Insane. That's just them just flipping the big bird anyway. That is, that is exactly what it was, yeah. flipping the bird. You see, that's, that's when you crazy. learn that intelligence gathering is like playing chess. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know who you are. I don't know what your next move is, but I got my eye on you. And so then I'm, I spent six weeks on that island. Maybe it was longer. It could have been six months. It was a long time because my time was... It, I lost all sense of time because you're either bunkered or and you have no contact with family. Well, you're hard timing it too. Yeah, know. it's exactly what it yeah. was. Uh, so anyway, I'm there and and uh, I had an insane talent that I really can't believe I had, but I could type a hundred words a minute on a manual typewriter. Oh, one of the old school ones. 
because that's the way I earn my living right. as a college student. I would right. type all my fraternity brothers' papers, and I would be making ten bucks, boys. Ten bucks yeah. in 1962 that's was a, a lot of yeah, money. No wonder you have so many nice cars. Oh, I, see, I learned. I'm already <laughs> a hustler. You already knew I'm yeah. a hustler. <laughs> so anyway, I hustled my fraternity brothers with typing. But after six weeks of typing not only my own stuff, everybody else's, Right. the guy who is in charge of the bunker of all the intelligence gathering, he goes, you're being wasted here. And here's what was so funny. My, most of my intelligence... No, they were telling you that you're burning through our typing ribbon, so get your ass out Yeah, well, and, and you know what happened, Chad? It was so interesting, is that my Chinese translation consisted of Chinese pilots getting a piece of ass. Sorry about that out there in Radio Land, but that's what it was. <laughs> they would good. talk about their conquests over the weekend instead of what kind of plane they were flying or what it, they they're were going to They talking basic soldier talk. Basic, they were talking I mean, basic soldier talk. No matter Jack. what country you're in, no matter what Whether army. you're in the air or on the ground. Yeah, you're just you're talking simple soldier talk. That's, so, that's pretty interesting, though, to hear that. You must have been laughing. I know oh, I would be. Laughing <laughs> my ass off because I'm typing, blah, 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 you know, for <laughs> A good time, and you know that somebody's gonna have to transcribe that too later oh, yeah, on. Yeah, reading yeah, over, yeah, yeah. that is so funny. Did man. you ever get? Uh, did you ever get notice of how a great leader was shooting forty eight under par? And did you <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about all the rumors about how their great leader does everything perfect. How oh, the North you know, Korean guys dude. never shit, and he, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, he used to never go to the bathroom. You, you, know you have never lived <laughs> until you've been on the DMZ between North and South Korea. One of my brothers from my last platoon, right when we all got out and, and split up, he went, he was a, our medic, actually. He went from uh, our unit in Alaska to Korea, uh-huh. and he was there two weeks, and he says, man, this place is unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, just the whole, and, and now, what happened at the end of the six weeks, uh, this is, you know, the world is small. You think the world is large. Till here I am on a deserted island in Korea. It's between Siberia yeah. and Korea. So that's how cold it was, boys. Oh. I didn't even know what cold that was until Siberian winds. It was just ugly. So then, uh, at the end of six weeks, Gail Oxley, who was the commander of the compound guarding us, he uh, it was a captain, army captain, just straight infantry army captain. Uh, he says to me, he says, uh, Mike, where'd you go to school? And I said, oh, I went to Principia College in Southern Illinois. And he goes, you got to be kidding me. I go, why? He says, I'm married to so-and-so. Her name escapes me now, but I know his name was Gail Oxley. You don't forget people that change your life. I wish I could remember his wife's name. She was cool. I knew her. Mm-hmm. But she and I had gone to school together. What wow. are the chances? A 500-student liberal arts college in southern Illinois, and, and I know his wife. Yeah, and you're in Korea. And he goes, I want you out of here. You do? <laughs> he says, yeah, I've already called the CG of the 8th Army, and that's not only Korea. That's Japan, blah, blah. It's right. a big group. Yeah. And his name is Michaelis, and he says he, need, he needs a liaison officer. But we don't have an officer with your skills, so we want you to be the liaison officer as an NCO. And so the next thing I know, I'm in, I get on another deuce and a half, and they deliver me to Eighth Army, and I have to be interviewed. And I got there, and there were a thousand candidates for the position 
uh, all over Eighth Army that had all been sending it in. And I walked in and I met the officer in charge who was Michaelis's aide. And when I met the guy I would be replacing, Italian boy. No, there you go. Same background, John Bacciali. <laughs> and we hit it off. We started laughing because we had almost the same exact background down to our wives. Mm-hmm. And I didn't I didn't even finish the interview and Major Thompson says, You're hired, Mike. He says, We like you. And all those applicants went out the window. Man, this one I really became back religious, the line. dude. Fall I'm out. not kidding you. I found religion that day. Yeah, I bet. Because here's what was so weird. My wife had told the Army to get screwed. They had told her oh, that she too? can't. Yeah. <laughs> they told her that she couldn't come to Korea because I couldn't have, uh, what do you call it? I couldn't have spousal support. I couldn't have. Well, back then, they only started bringing spouses to Korea, I think. like Actually, you know what? I, as of now, they don't even have it well, for a while they did she sold our two-cylinder honda yeah we had the honda car two-cylinder honda 600 can you believe it sucker had a motorcycle engine <laughs> she sold that car bought a one-way ticket to seoul she arrived in korea the day i got the job wow remember boys She's not even supposed to be there. We had had no contact. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, I didn't even know she was coming until she got there. That's a gamble. Gamble, but I'm yeah. saying it's more than a gamble. No, yeah. It that, was that, like the heavens converged, and oh, my God. Man hasn't seen a woman <laughs> as long oh, as yeah. I had. My poor wife. <laughs> anyway, I don't. that's, that's another story. And the Chinese pilots were over here, and they <laughs> were intercepting there you. Go. you. <laughs> they were intercepting me. I love it, Keep that mind. Yeah. He, oh, yeah. That's the only reason so it was I love working with this guy. I, I had a, a fascinating job being in Seoul, working for General Michaelis, who I saw rarely. Uh, my job basically was, again, Korean message traffic and also handling sensitive issues with CIA and all the other intelligence groups that would come into our office from NSA, CIA, ASA. I was attached to what they call the Army Security Agency, and that was right in Arlington, and back uh, man, in Virginia. And, and how long did you do that for? Oh, I did it for a year and a half. It was outstanding. Yeah, that's a. That's I, I learned story. so much about myself, and what I learned is I learned not to have preconceptions about what CIA looks like, mm-hmm. NSA looks like, ordinary guys. They don't look like James Bond. No. They may be wearing in the spring, be wearing a Hawaiian shirt and shorts looking like the average tourist. And because of that, one of those, two of those guys became really good friends of mine. Brightest men I've ever met. Kindest and sharpest. They said, hey, we're going to give you an adventure today. I go, I can't hang out with you. I look so obvious. You know, I have a military haircut. You have to be strack when you drive the general. I mean, you got to be spit and polished. Oh, yeah. Beyond spit and polished. I mean, the car's got to be immaculate. It's like everything's got to be perfect. And uh, so we went together to this little bar. And we're on the outskirts of Seoul, and we go into this little bar. Me with my military haircut, but I'm dressed in civilian clothes. And they go, okay, see over that table? Those are the North Koreans. See that table there? Those are the Russians. Table over there? Those are the Chinese. Every country was represented in that bar, boys, 
And then he goes, you know, they're all, and oh, I forgot this. They're the Romanians. They're the players. <laughs> the, pl the Romanians were the largest intelligence gathering group. And so everybody from North Korea to China to everybody would broker information through the Romanians. <laughs> and they're all hanging out the same and, bar. And yet, the Romanians remained neutral. They didn't take sides. They just said, right. hey, we know this is happening in this area, this is happening in this area, blah, blah, blah. But who would ever think that Ceausescu had that kind of clout in the world? But see, that's what you learn. That little, weird little country had a big impact on the world intelligence gathering. Oh, yeah, it's always a little country. So is this too much information? No. No, no. No, no what's not, funny is what you're saying, like with this, this bar, like, you it was like that a scene movies, from Star you see Wars. That in movies and you, you see that in movies and you <laughs> go, vampire. bullshit, you know, like yeah. that doesn't happen. And like, That's when I learned we had foreign nationals, uh, you know, in Kern County, in Bakersfield, monitoring our trains, monitoring oh. our water supply, looking at Isabella's water levels. Mm -hmm. Well, you definitely, I mean, especially with the oil reserve, reserve out oh, there. Oh, yeah. You. And, oh, my gosh, the, the the Navy, what is that, Naval? Bechtel up there at El The Petroleum yeah. Reserves. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean... Guys, that's when you learn that, you know, you're not in Kansas anymore. No, the world opens up to you. I learned that. That's Matrix Neo type. Yeah, <laughs> yeah know, it is. Take the pill, you know. Yeah, I know. so that's when I hear anybody that gets on their wild hair about we've got to be nice to everybody. Mm -hmm. I said, dude, people have been stealing information, not stealing, taking information from us. It's going on right now. Firsthand everywhere. Yeah, yeah. In Bakersfield, in Kern County. I was infantry, and we RS2 would brief us like twice a year or something. Sure. They'd come in, the intel officers, and I was a grunt. Yeah, hey, I was a grunt too, remember? But, I told yeah. you about my training. One thing that was interesting to me is that uh, one guy came in one time, and he showed us a picture of a space shuttle. He's like, what is that? And we're, we're like, it's a fucking space shuttle, man. Like, <laughs> okay. He's like, true, but it's not ours. The Russians actually built it. He's like, and the only reason they weren't able to get it into space and launch it is because they had all the specs they had everything they needed but a few things if they were to only get that they'd be sending space shuttles into space too and and it what well, you were looking at a space shuttle but the russians had built it and you know i learned a little bit just working here and there with different entities in the army and stuff that the world opens up when you get out there in, in or in the military, yeah. and you start exposing yourself to things, even in the infantry, and you get to see exactly what the world is, and it makes you a different person. You know, I wasn't the same person when I got back. Did you find yourself? I when, changed when, totally when you came back. Obviously, you're you're totally different. But uh, did your teaching style? I mean, did did you choose changed. to go into high school? You chose to teach high school right after that. I, I'm just going to cut to the chase. I went to D.C. Mm -hmm. Uh, being in 8th Army working for Michaelis, the next thing I knew because of my work there, oh, guys, I had the greatest job. It was the ugliest yeah, job I ever like had. Guess, guess what one of my side jobs was? I was the VD officer for 8th Army. <laughs> you have never lived, boys, until <laughs> it's your job to Section 8 or whatever it is you do to soldiers who've... Uh, gotten vd for the second time well you know that korea is the highest that's the highest oh uh, my gosh it's i mean if you if you get contracted with syphilis or something in korea they don't let you go home so if you have your orders uh to go home let's say you're out the army and you they you wait until that's that's gone it's big out there it's still to this day in 2016 oh well, i gotta tell you can you imagine me sitting there <laughs> i was at the desk and i go i can't believe i'm seeing you a third time <laughs> 
Well, it's because all the girls over there, the girls yeah, come no, here, American I, boy. Recycling oh. and one of we my, love you long time. And one <laughs> of my boys ended up in the Korean slammer because he dated a she-male oh, and didn't know it, and he was a virgin, <laughs> and he discovered that the lady was packing, and he tried to kill her. Oh. So he got... He, we couldn't protect him. Yeah, yeah. That's, and but it's still like that there. It's still like that there. I, I will tell you what. I shook my head over that one. Oh, oh my I, I gosh. can tell you stories. I, I've heard stories from my medic and a lot of my other buddies. It's still like that out there. It's well, bad. it's pretty weird. You just can't believe. It. And then the weirdest part. Remember, I had just seven guys in that Chinese Mandarin class. Lost complete track of all of them. That sucks. As soon as I left the yeah, class. That sucks. Until I was VD officer. <laughs> they all got it. No. <laughs> Here is, this is so funny to me. I'm sorry, Charlie. Wherever you are, I'm ratting you out. His <laughs> name was Charles Devine. And Charles Devine walks into my office. <laughs> I had not seen him in hey, two man, years. Hey, man, something's wrong. It's burning. <laughs> yeah, I know. And he was the second time. Oh, so I actually uh, gave him a little bit of a, a break. Yeah. But I was so happy to see him, but so sad that he was, I mean, so uh, stupid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, guys, look, you should know. I mean, this is dangerous. Yeah, they brief you on that. That's a, oh, oh, my God. you know, soldiers. Soldiers are soldiers. You get out Tell there. Tell me about it. And how about you know? the virgin soldiers? Those are the worst offenders. And they know. Because they, they had... No, they'd never gotten any action while they were on the, in the States for a lot of reasons. A lot of it's parental pressure or church or a lot of reasons. Then all of a sudden somebody oh, offers they're, they're to give them a blowjob, yeah. and the yeah. next thing you know... And they're completely naive. They're completely naive. For and, eight bucks. And yeah. <laughs> we, we had guys, when I was stationed out here in Barstow for a couple of years, training guys. I was training guys uh, out here for a while. And we had privates that were getting caught up in a Russian wive... Oh, ring. yes. They, they were going to these privates and giving them $10,000 cash. Yeah. And they would say, all we need you to do is marry this woman. And so they'd marry this woman. They may or may not even get lucky with her, you know, but they'd get $10,000 and they'd have to marry this lady for a year and then divorce her. What got them caught is that instead of giving them cash, they started buying all these young privates spiders. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so you had in the barracks, you had like tw- – like, Probably 15, 20 spiders are parked up in the chain of command. I was like, what the fuck is going on? These are those and Polaris spiders? Yeah, the Polaris the, spiders. You the know, little they, trikes. they look cool, but I mean, yeah, um, I know. Uh, but it's like, you got this, like, this, like, gang of these guys driving them, and so CID, criminal investigations, got involved. Come to find out, these dudes were getting paid to marry all these Russian women because there were a lot of Russian women suddenly working on base too. And you're like, "What's going on?" Uh, well, we yeah, have, the privates we always fall the vodka sales have gone up. There's no Smirnoff in the Class Six, no. But yeah, man, it's always oh, man. the privates. That that's an amazing story, Professor. Man, I like that. I, I'm so glad to finally have you tell that because that's a movie worthy. Well, you can you I mean? imagine playing that role? I mean, it was crazy. Well, anyway. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the dude's name. Isn't that funny? We called him Charlie Two Star. I think his name was Denholm. But anyway, uh, the ASA commanding general came through, and he liked me. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I know, I'm at NSA as his appointment secretary. Wow. So that was a real shock. But it was really cool because not only did I get to be in the heart of National Security Agency, right? 
I got to be in Washington, D.C. Which is, if you haven't been there to D.C., I behoove you to And go. Fort Meade, Maryland was interesting. I'll tell you right it's now. It's a world of its own. It's, it's a different it entity among itself. And, you know, I thought it was so top secret, Randy. I get there and I'm going, I'm going to NSA. And I go there and there are 10,000 cars yeah. in the parking lot. Yeah. All of a sudden... The big, the big dick suddenly becomes. Oh yeah, yeah. a yeah. little tiny cipher. It's humbling. It oh, it's so humbling. humbling. I couldn't imagine that. Especially I, after they wheeled you around like Hannibal Lecter, like in all these private care, you know, these <laughs> private transportation by yourself. Now That's you're amazing. one of many. I know it was amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing. But when experience. I got to the office, it was it was remarkable, and I will never, I I will never ever regret being there and learning what I did. But it was really cool, though, boys. You can't believe what happened to me. Now, I hadn't taught directly for a year and a half, maybe two years. And when I got to uh, Maryland, here I am at NSA during the day. One of my friends uh, from school, beautiful woman. Oh, my God. And I'm married to a beautiful woman. My wife stopped traffic in Korea. Can you imagine (laughs) having a platinum Blonde, 37, yeah. 22, 36. Yeah, those Korean boys don't know what's going on. Oh, they would come up and stroke her hair. <laughs> oh, God. And she'd turn around and... and but yeah. Well, you had the ones the that wanted Korean to be with guys. Yeah, the What ones? about yeah. all the soldiers? Yeah. Oh, that's the yeah, worst. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'd be, I'd be handing out throat punches left and right. I had the same hey, problem. Dude, I married a cheerleader, so I, I, I understand. My I, chest kept getting bigger <laughs> every day. <laughs> yeah. Because I wanted to make sure they knew that girl was mine. Yeah. But well, anyway... Back to uh, D.C., uh, our beautiful friend Diane, um, one of the best painters I have ever seen before or since. I mean, you know, she's an artist, and she could just do anything. Well, she was the artist-in-residence for the University of Maryland College Park. And she goes, Mike, I'm leaving for a professorship in St. Louis. They don't have anybody to take my place. I'm going to put you up. And now, boys, you know I paid my way through school as a painter. Right. And that's how I did I'd paint pictures. I'd find the biggest house in the city as I'm driving through, park my car. I was an art whore. Yeah. So hey, now I'm letting hustling. it all out. You're hustling. So I, oh, yeah, he knows. <laughs> so I would get my paints out, Randy, and paint the biggest, baddest house as long as there was a car in the driveway. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as I would get done, it would be about two hours, either the maid would come out or somebody would come out and say, can we see your picture? I said, oh, yeah, it's really pretty. I mean, I really like what you're doing here. This is so cool. And they go, well, we'd like to buy it. I say, oh, oh I guess I could. 200 Boys, $200 in, in 1963, yeah. 64. Gas was, was 13 cents a gallon. Yes, yeah. exactly. It was Big money. That's what paid my school. Yeah, man, you've done it all. You've done. You've, so, done, you've done the. I was a real bad. <laughs> you boy. are James Bond. We I could write the book, but we could get a letter that says, "Knock it off." So, <laughs> never mind. So anyway, I did that for a long time. So anyway, she knew about my painting, and I had actually been published. I'd been in How to Paint Watercolor in North America, and I. Right. I'd done that on the side, besides all my teaching stuff. Mm-hmm. And so next thing I know, University of Maryland makes me their artist in residence. And wow. they know I'm at NSA, but I can't hold a job, boys. Remember, if you're right. military, you're 24-7. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I lied like a son of a bitch, and I would teach one night a week for the University of Maryland. While you were still in. While I was still in. Wow. 
And so I did that for almost 18 months. Talk about learning. It was so interesting being a professor, and this is before I met you, Chad. Yeah. And then uh, working at NSA. And I will tell you what, that was the greatest reward of my life. What got you to Stockdale High back here in Bakersfield? You decided to move back home after all no, that? No. My dad became ill okay. and almost lost his that, life. That's usually what does it. And yeah. here I am. I had just been recruited by the FBI because, like my infantry friends here, him. I love to shoot. Oh, yeah. Man, I did everything. I had, I had to be qualified being the general's aide. I had to be qualified on my three fifty-seven, my forty-five, my thirty-eight police, my snub nose. Right. Every single month, Chad, one. Yeah, oh, yeah, M16, forget. I had M16. M16. M16 yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot that. See, I was so busy yeah. carrying small arms because I had to carry concealed. The reason yeah. I did is that I was the resource, which meant I had to protect my ass mm-hmm. 24-7. And it had nothing yeah. to do with what I was carrying. Right, yeah. I had to make sure I was protected. God, and and here I am teaching art, and I'm packing. Can you imagine? It's so weird. You know, here you are yeah. teaching, and underneath you got a 45. <laughs> I would love to be in that art class. That sounds like my kind of art class, man. Yeah, well, it was fun. I that's had a blast. That's awesome, man. That's, that's so But cool. anyway, small. Uh, uh, you know, it's weird recounting all this. I haven't talked war stories in a long time. Oh, so it's funny because time, time. I know you're pressed on time, but, but man, see how fast it can go? Yeah, but what's we, great is to meet you boys. It's I see the intelligence here at the table and, oh, and what you're contributing. You. It just makes me smile. I'm so glad that you're here. You know, guys, I taught journalism for a long time. I had you in journalism. And you know what's so weird is that in journalism, you got to remember two things. You don't have to always be a tub thumper. What you have to do is you have to be a researcher. Get all the facts. That's the hardest part. People That's the ask, hardest pe- part. People ask us all the time, like, how do you guys do this? How, how do you guys go on there and go on the microphone and do the videos and do all that? Devin Hour. Part. The easy part's coming in here. The hard part is actually studying up so that you know what the hell you're talking about. Because, you know, anybody can come talking to a microphone, but you got to know what to say. Chad doesn't know this, but this is what I have taught teachers in Orange County. You have to prepare. You always. If yeah. you don't prepare, you're going to think that your shit doesn't stink. Excuse my French. But that's exactly what it is. You have to know. You have to feel prepared. Just like when you're marching a troop. You've got to believe that you're in charge. But you have to feel like you've at least done your homework. And you can't have an ego. I think that's what I've learned most from you. And you said it earlier. Is The it, egos are in front of you. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. your privilege of watching developing egos. Yeah. Of people finding themselves because mm-hmm. you know, guys, we don't add to you; we wake you up to who you are. See, that's the most important thing. As a learner, you find out, you accept information that resonates with you. Mm-hmm. It isn't something that somebody stuck to you like a donkey's tail at a children's party. You know what I'm saying? I truly believe that teachers are the greatest gift to society. You listening to this man talk, Randy do I mean you can finally understand like mm-hmm. how he's affected my life. You have teachers Well good and, teachers, let's get this yeah, right. Because there are paycheck thieves right, that hand are, out homework yeah, and you know, here yeah, you go. Teacher union uh you know Don't get me started on that and I don't want to offend no, anybody, but I yeah, no. teacher unions are filled with people who can't teach. Yeah, but real I'm talking teachers. about teacher leaders. Sorry folks, I really <laughs> believe that. I've 
seen it firsthand. Well, real teachers, real people who want to bring the best out of you and and share their life experiences and you know just affect your life in so many ways. Uh, you're you're it for me. And I hope this episode kind of shows people a little bit of where I got it from. Oh, you're, uh, you're, I've had, you're too kind. <laughs> Remember, I, it still works both ways. It does. How do you think I felt? I, I painted a picture. He liked it. And I was so flattered that he got it. Because I, I painted the picture to be something that was stirred emotions you got to remember at the time that you why do you think i sent it to you? yeah at the time he was painting this painting i i had just got back from my last tour in afghanistan just going through a lot you know i mean um you know watch my soldier die dealing with it was hard and and i was going through my life was a nightmare you know i mean it was it was, it was difficult and i was just scrolling through facebook i think i was drunk uh you know, just scrolling through, and I saw that painting, and I said, "Wow!" I said, "I really like that," and uh, you know, I, I told you, I said, I, "That painting's amazing. I like it." And um, I'm gonna tell you something I've never told anybody. You you mailed it to me, and I was so shocked, and, and it was it was I was so happy. I went, and I had it matted, I had it framed, beautifully done. I'm so honored yeah, the way you I, did the, it. I think the colors I picked, it just expre- It really was just me at the time. And I saw like angry faces in it at the time. I saw like angry, unhappy, well, I was thinking sad faces. And so you did see what I was thinking. And I tell my wife this; that she's the only one I told this to. I go downstairs and I look at that picture now. I don't see those angry faces. Good. I see, I see smiles. I see happy. And so that painting, man, just really gave it to me at a time in my life that was just extremely difficult, dealing with the emotions and, and everything I was dealing with. It was a gift, and you've just given me gift after gift after gift, man, so thank Kiddo, you. You know, you're my gift, <laughs> and and Randy, I really mean that. He's been a gift to me, and you know why? Because not only is he journey-centered, hell with the destination. Be journey-centered as yeah, you are. Yeah, it's all about the journey. Because being in the journey, it means that you're exploring yourself and your friend yeah. here. The exchange between the two of you today, I've loved it. The fact that him and I are doing this together is just a, that's that's a gift in itself as well. I mean, the, I mean, and you're going to have differences it. of opinions. Oh, we do all the time. We be, that's, <laughs> daily. That's part of our job. <laughs> it's a right. it's a peer beat the shit out of each other type thing. If somebody exactly. gets a little bit out of line or gets, you know, we'll just you can't have two guys so opinionated and I know. for everything to work out but it's beautiful man and I thank you so much Professor M for coming on here well I, know you I need going. to sign off so you boys can talk about yeah. Orlando yeah well that's going to be I think in a couple of days I hope this group gets a hold of me because I really want to touch into that but well, you know what we're going to go to lunch later today with some other students I can hardly and, wait and uh, it's going to be amazing so thank you from the Chapman and Randy show you always have a home here I going to say this is first of, yeah you, you can, know you can come you on can talk more I'd well, like I'm to, boring so you guys no are god I no I, I I wish we can go more longer no I mean, I mean when we don't even have to get into your stories next time if you don't want we can just bring you in and just talk about topics news of the day just shoot you know you're always Welcome to the Chapman and Randy Show. It's been wild and being down. back in Bakersfield. I haven't been here for three years. And it's oh, oh really? Town, and they go, well, the GPS says get on the West Side Parkway. What the hell is a West Side Parkway? The, wa- the freeway to nowhere. The waste of money is what that is. Well, the I was the only car on it. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> that's about right. Yeah, but I mean, it's nice. It's nice, but it's it's a waste of money. They I didn't know where they would have called it a freeway if it actually went somewhere, but since it just dead ends yeah. in places. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Professor Ram, for you. all you listening out there. Uh, past we'll get him to uh, 
what we should do is we'll get them to commit and we'll start using we can use the phone line every once in a while Hunt yeah we're going to get our phone line hooked up well it's hooked up we just need to get it we, we need to figure it out and sure. uh, next time you come on you know if, whenever that may be we'll have people call in past students and stuff and well, well, we can even that. call him yeah either or, or we can we call oh talk? yeah we can call you we got yeah, something yeah. to talk about we, so we, we don't we, have to keep it you know we, you so don't I don't have to drive from Laguna yeah Beach. yeah so we're getting that whole system figured out and so we can call you and we can uh, have ourselves a a real big boy show, which well, we're getting to slowly but surely. I have loved being with my big boys here, <laughs> or big voices in Bakersfield. Thank you. We're getting there. Well, thank you. All right, everybody, this is the Chapman Rand Show telling you about Freedom Fest on July 2nd at B-Riders. we got the Aviators, Rearview Mirror, and Il Tempo. Come celebrate America, man. $7 pre-sale, $8 at the door. Get your tickets now. This is the Chapman Rand Show. Out. Out. <laughs>